And time now to join Alita Robinson and Pastor Samuel of A Reasonable Christianity. Well, good afternoon, listeners, and good afternoon, Samuel. Afternoon, Alida. How are you going? I'm going really well. It's lovely to be in the studio again and to be able to talk about the things that we've been talking about. Indeed. So just to let everyone know, this is Ark Church's uh, Q&A with Samuel. We are actually doing a study on, we're going through the gifts of the Spirit. Yes, we are. And if you want to see Samuel live... (coughs) His lovely face, radiant smile, <laughs> and all that stuff. If you want to see that live, then uh, you can go to Samuel's Facebook page. Do you want to um, spell your second name to our listeners uh, so they might be able to find you? Alita is super kind. Um, you know, my beautiful smiley face, she says. <laughs> uh, my last name is spelled T-S-H-I-S-E-K-E-D-I. So T for time, S for sugar, H for hotel, I for India, S for sugar, E for echo, K for kilo, E for echo, D for delta, I for India. There you go. Chizakiri. That's it. So if you, if, you, if you want to know the rhythm of the word... Samuel always says it's like cheese and spaghetti. That's the so way. So if you sort of get cheese and spaghetti in your head, then you can actually feel the flow of the word. Yeah. And then you got it, you've got it stuck. Sometimes there are just words that are really hard. Anyway, that, that's always a bit of fun. But, um, but yeah, those who want to, uh, to see and be part of the conversation, uh, log into your Facebook and come onto the, the page and you'll be able to see. And if you've got some questions, you can stick it in the chat. And uh, Samuel does a little bit of um, chatting in between when the songs are on to those that are online. So, That's right. All right. So do you want to do a little bit of a, you know, where we're up to before we launch into this part of the... Um, this part of what we're doing today in uh, the power gifts? Yeah, so we, we've been uh, answering the question on the gifts of the Spirit. And um, so, so far, uh, we've come, uh, we've looked at the, uh, the, the, the gifts in sets. So that gracelet, as uh, John Wimber used to call them. Uh, so this charismata, we've looked at, uh, you've got nine in the list that Apostle Paul uh, basically highlights in First Corinthians chapter 12. And so we had classified them into three clusters. Uh, the first one being the gift of revelation. Yeah. So word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and discerning of spirits. And then we classify the gifts of power. That is faith, uh, you know, gifts of healings, and working of miracles. Mm. So that's the second cluster, which is the gifts of power. And the last cluster being uh, the speaking gifts or vocal gifts, we've got tongue, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. Yeah. So, so far we've come, we've looked at the first cluster, we finished it, and we talked about how do we hear from God. We did finish that. And then we, we looked at the gift of faith last Sunday. Yeah. And so, and that's as far as we've come. And if, uh, if our, our listeners can remember, we did say that there are four connotations that the word pistis, uh, coming from the base verb pistio, is used in uh, bib- biblical language, at least biblical teaching. Uh, first is the faith unto salvation. So, you know, you believe in Jesus to be saved. So that's the, the first uh, connotation we looked at. The second connotation was faith as the body of Christian doctrine, Christian teaching. Uh, you know, the first one I gave the text which says, you know, by grace through faith ye were saved. So that's faith unto salvation. The second one is until we have reached the unity of the faith, Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, so Apostle Paul said, until we've reached the unity of the faith, uh, which means the unity of the teaching of the Christian message, mm. the body of doctrine. And we did say that faith is also defined as you walk of faith in Christ. You know, you know, it's a good fight of faith. It's the walk of faith, the finishing the race of faith. In other words, once you've been saved, and you walk this walk of sanctification, the permanent, regular, constant trust in Christ until he returns. So that is called the walk of faith. And then the last one, is therefore what we call the gift of faith, which is the mountain-moving faith. And mm. we looked at Mark chapter 11 from verse 23, uh, where Jesus talking about the events of the, uh, you know, the drying up of the fig tree, uh, said to the, the apostles, have the faith of God. So that kind of faith is what we're looking here in terms of the gifts. It is a surge a surge in confidence, in trust that God is going to do something extraordinary. 
And so some people have that kind of faith uh, as a gift. You know, you see somebody stand up in a particular situation and declare God is going to do this. So this is going to happen. And you're like, well, are they being arrogant? No, they just simply have the gift of the faith of God. And I gave a few examples uh, last Sunday. Uh, you know, you saw the apostles walking in that particular kind of uh, faith. Uh, now, this cluster of the gifts of power turned to work together. Yeah. Remember Apostle John and Peter went to the gate uh, of the temple, uh, as used to be their habit after the day of Pentecost. And when they got there, they got at the portico at the uh, gate and they found a man who had been sitting there begging uh, for years. He was been there for 40 years. Mm. And so as he looked at them intently wanting to get something from them, and Peter and John said to them, no, silver and gold we don't have, such as we have, we shall give to you in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Now, there is this sort of a, a level of confidence they had. They didn't say, look, man, we may not be able to give you a coin or a cent, but we have God. Do you mind if we pray for you? Maybe God may just simply, you know, get you up on your feet. Yeah. That doesn't seem to be the attitude with which these apostles spoke. No. They just want to say, hey, we don't have money, we don't have, but we can give you something else. And so they knew they had it, and it was up to them to give it to him. Mm. So they're like, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And guess what? The man skipped like a ram, and he started walking, and there was all in the entire city. So that kind of really confidence, really solid confidence, uh, is the kind of mountain-moving faith. Like the faith that, you know, it hooses out of someone in a particular given circumstance. I was reminded of another um, a text. Uh, I think Paul had just visited Derby, uh, Derby and uh, he was preaching there, uh, the Lyconium and Derby, so he's preaching there. And there was a guy sitting in the, uh, in the wheelchair. And Paul looked at him, and the man was looking intently to him, and Paul saw that he had faith to be healed. So Paul said, get up in the name of Jesus. And the man just skipped up and he, he was on his feet. He didn't say, well, this guy seems to believe what I'm saying. Let me see if I, I said, look, man, uh, you, uh, you, you're really looking like you really believe. Let me pray. You know, God is sovereign. You never know. He may just simply get you out of the wheelchair. That is not the way Paul presents. No. He's the last one. Uh, Paul has just come and he's talking to the elders of Ephesus. He's about to, you know, part ways with them. And he speaks the whole night. And there's a young man sitting on the ledge of the window, and the man, the young man, is basically uh, is dozing off, mm. and then he falls. The Bible says he breaks his neck, pretty much. Mm. So the kid dies as he falls. It's third story, yeah. and he falls in that. And Paul is not even moved. Everybody is a bit in uproar for the event that has happened. Paul's like, just bring him here. You know, they get the kid, they bring the kid up. I mean, it's a young man. It's not like a, a, literally not a, a child, kid. no. But we bring a young man up, and they put him in front of Paul. Paul just lays hand on the man and raises him up. <laughs> the man's <laughs> was broken neck. He's healed, and he's actually raised, because they say he's raised from the dead, pretty much. And there you go. And Paul didn't even, didn't move, didn't shake. And he continues to preach the entire night. So you get those kind of moments. When you come across somebody who's got a gift of faith like that, two things can happen, at least in, in, in today's Christians' uh, response. You can be you know, incredibly intimidated by them, and it can send you into deeper unbelief, like, oh, that guy is arrogant, or who do you, does he think he is, or, you know, and so on and so forth. Or you can go, whoa, this man has got such tremendous, I have respect for them. And then you can probably, some third, third reaction could be, I would like to have what he has. So those are the three kind of reactions you can have when you come across people like that. I hope. It's the third one, yeah. I want to have what you've got. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Well, we're going to continue on with those power gifts, and uh, you thought we might start with healing today. Yeah, so we were looking at the gifts of healing. Now, this one here uh, is the one that need not to be, you know, know, said, you know, we have, there's enough scriptural material Mm. from the Old Testament into New Testament to see God operating in the area of healing. Mm. 
So God has been always, I am the Lord that heals you, you know. You know, the Lord who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. You know, that's that's the constant, you know, thread you see throughout Scripture. So we can't ask the question to whether God heals or not. Well, if we want to look at healing, God has actually, by his general providence, you know, ordinary providence, provided healing within the working of your own body. Exactly. When you when you get injured, the first thing that happens, unless there is an anomaly, the blood coagulates and all the cells of your body start to basically work together to try to, you know, to close the gaping wound that you have, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So it is therefore uh, quite visible there that God is even within the laws of nature uh, set, you know, the process for healing. Now, beyond that process of nature, you know, there has been, if you look part of the Old Testament, there used to be, you know, God gave instruction to the children of Israel, to Moses and children of Israel, to use certain plants within nature to be able to bring about healing, physical healing, right? Mm, mm. And and then, then you go, right now we can say, well, we've got modern medicine. What does modern medicine use? It used to be plants. Now we're finding chemicals. We can do even artificial chemicals for the purpose of bringing back healing. Why do I say this to start with? Because there's been a misconception that if we talk about God healing, we must be, some people think, not mm-hmm. everybody, even sometimes you think, you know, people who see people who want to go for being prayed for to be healed as though they are opposed to modern medicine. Mm. No. No. Modern medicine is part of exactly the same general or ordinary providence of God uh, for healing. You know, the chemicals that are found in, the, in, in nature, who, who made them, who created them. Yes, God did. The plants in nature, who created them. So, in a way, whether it is by <clears throat> the process of the body healing itself or by the plants and chemicals that now used by, you know, all the pharmaceutical industry, this has been God's ordinary provision for healing. Now you go from there to the moment where God can himself intervene to basically fix up something that isn't working in the human system uh, without having to use the chemicals or to use the natural processes where it is like, you know, a bond is, a bond is broken, you put a, a plaster on it, uh, you know, you plaster it up, and then it takes 7, 14 days for the natural process to take its course. God, being almighty, can therefore intervene in that process and get the bond that could have been healed in a year, be, be healed in a split second. Mm. Okay? And so that's still actually, it's called God's extraordinary providence. Okay, so as far as healing is concerned, when you see God intervene like that, and some people call it miracle, I've not gotten to that yet. Some miracles can be in healing, and some healings can be miracles, but not every healing is a miracle. Okay, yeah. Let me let me say that so you can see Apostle Paul sub uh, uh, put two categories, you know, gifts of healing and working of miracles. The two different things. I'll explain miracles later. So you can therefore see that healing has always been part of the providence of God. So God can therefore intervene that way to, you know, heal. And so when he intervened, you look at throughout the Old Testament and New Testament in the, in the, in the life of Jesus to see a, a lot of miracles happen. Let me give you one example in the Old Testament. There was this, this uh, general, uh, an Assyrian general, uh, called Naaman, who, you know, having heard that, you know, there was miracles happening in Israel, asked the king to send a letter to the king of Israel to say, yeah, can you heal my military men here? Mm. And so when the king heard it, I'm like, what, what do you think I'm God or what? So he's like, uh, you want, want a war with me? No, but Elijah heard that king was troubled and said, hey, let him send the military generals. Long story short, everybody knows this story. If you've ever read it, uh, I'll provide the scripture when we get a break. But he, general, comes in. His name is Naaman. And Elisha says to him, hey, don't worry. Go to the river Jordan. Dip yourself in the water seven times. He had leprosy. Yes. And dip yourself seven times in and you will be healed. He had this confidence that this was going to happen. He didn't say, go and dip yourself. I'm not sure, but in case, you know. <laughs> he goes and dips himself seven times. And on the seventh time, the Bible said the skin of the man had become as brand new as a baby. Yes, exactly. The man was healed. The man was healed. All right, well, we're going to continue our discussion about uh, healing and uh, the gifts of healing.
You're listening to 105.1 Life FM, Bendigo's Positive Choice. And we are doing the Q&A with Samuel Chizikedi. Yes. yes. And uh, we're looking at the the um, gifts of the spirit. Yes. And at the moment we're in the power gifts and we're talking about healing, gifts of healing. Yes. So I was therefore saying that, uh, you know, you look at the... You know, the text that you find in Second uh, King chapter 5, you can go and read the text that I did promise I'll give after the break, that uh, Naaman, the man uh, who came from Syria, uh, was healed, the military general, by the instruction of Elijah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I was talking about the gifts of the Spirit, uh, I made the point that we need not to see the gifts of the Spirit as just a phenomena that started in the New Testament. No, all the spiritual gifts, the Holy Spirit operated in the Old Testament. So these gifts, you know, where the wisdom, as we showed Solomon, uh, you know, where the knowledge. Uh, and so we, you know, for example, we, we showed the, the example of um, Nathan and David. And so they, these gifts continually operated in the Old Testament. And so in the New Testament, here we are, there's an abundance of these gifts operating. So you can see the, the case that we have given there of a, a Naaman's being healed by Elisha. And, and there are two things you will notice in here. The gift of faith. There was no doubt in Elisha's attitude mm. that Naaman was going to be healed. In fact, Naaman wasn't really sold out to the idea. Uh, it was like, well, look, did you bring me here to insult me? I was expecting that the prophet would come out and he will greet me with honors and he'll raise his hand, he'll invoke his God, and then he will heal me. Mm. And so one of Naaman's servants went, Sir, just a moment. If he'd asked you something very hard, wouldn't you have done it? Yes. He's asking something as simple as, Naaman's like, well, no, there are better rivers than, uh, than <laughs> Jordan, Jordan in... Well, it's not about a better river. There is just here a process that you have to go through. And the prophet was confident you'd be healed after it. And so the guy goes into the river and he jumps in there uh, seven times and yet the man is healed. So There's a process of humbling in that too. Though, there, there is a process mm. of humbling in there. He had to humble himself. But also want to actually uh, show you the, that the, you know, when he went into the river, think about it, the man has got leprosy. And it's a very, very itchy disease. It's a skin disease. And if it gets to a certain level, it eats up your nervous system, especially nerve endings, so that you don't feel anything anymore. So so the person who's got advanced leprosy can lose their toes. They can even burn their toes without even knowing. Mm. They just smell something burning. So because you can lose your limbs, starting with, with, you know, the extremities. And so, but if he was going to dip, it was a general. So he used to basically put all his, he'd been the, the most trusted general by the king of Syria. And so, because he'd basically been war yeah. and everywhere he went, he was very respected. So nobody knew he had leprosy apart from the king and the servants in his house. Mm. So he had to basically remove his clothes. Yes. To dip himself in that water. Yeah. And once he get in that water, the itchiness of leprosy on his skin would have been aggravated by the water. Mm. And he had to do that seven times. He could have done the first the second time and quit. He could have done it three times and quit. Yeah. So he took that entire process. And by the time he was at the seventh time, that, what a humility and the exercise of trusting the word of the prophet yes. that go and do this, you shall be healed. Yeah, exactly. Some of us today, you can't even trust what scripture says you should do. You know, somebody comes to me and says, I did everything that scripture says I should do. I'm like, what did you do? They can't even remember what they did. Mm. Or oh, I did this and this and then stop halfway. So, you know, when the scripture says do it, you do it. You know, take the instruction. Humbling day. Very good point. And so here we are. Uh, the man comes out, is healed, Old Testament. How about the ministry of Jesus in the New Testament? It is constant, you can read. For example, I was, I was giving uh, the story uh, that P- Jesus walked in Peter's house, and, uh, and Peter's mother-in-law was, had fever and headache. Mm. And so Jesus laid hand on her, and she was healed. Instantly, she got up and started ministering to them, cooking food for them. Mm. And so when you look at that, that is not a miracle. That is just a healing. Yeah. All right. Let's say if it was in our today's day, uh, she could have taken Panadol or, you know, ibuprofen or something yeah. like that. Now, does that negate that Jesus actually did that? The effect is there. So if the person took ibuprofen or took, you know, 
Panadol, and they got back up on their feet, and the person got prayed for, and they got back up on their feet. The result is the same. These two are not pegged against each other. No. In fact, the Jews, the Jews used to use all sorts of you know, traditional, you know, plant-based yeah, Luke, herbs and teas. And Luke, like yeah. the gospel writer, was a doctor. He may not have been a doctor at, of our modern medicine, but he was a medical doctor then. Mm. You remember the woman with the issue of blood? The Bible tells us she'd gone and seen all sorts of physicians. Mm. They used to be physicians in those days. This is why Jesus was also called a physician because of what he. He brought about the result that the physicians used to bring about. But he didn't do the process that the physicians did. Mm. All the processes that we pro- we've explained, God has provided those processes. Yeah. So if you, you, know, you, you, you go to the doctor, you don't have to be against being prayed for to be healed. It is a false dichotomy. It is a false, basically, conflict. Now, but in this case, Jesus therefore laid hands on her. She's healed. Now, what does Jesus use? Is use supernatural means to resolve a natural problem. Okay? In that sense, it may be, why am I saying supernatural? Because you've got the natural and the supra. Okay? Mm. Super. It's like the ordinary and the extraordinary. So when you look at God's extraordinary providence, is when God used more means that he has in his disposal than the means we have in our physical self. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, in that sense, Jesus wanted to terminate the life of a tree. Uh, you know, we, in our normal means, you take either a chainsaw, <laughs> you cut it, you've yeah. done the job. But Jesus had more means. He could say to the tree, you're dead. And the tree dies. Mm. Now, he had access to more means than we do. You see what I mean? Yeah. So in that sense, we need to marvel at the fact that it's got extra means. But we, we can't just simply start think, well, no, believing those extra means, you know, basically challenges our regular means that we know. That's just sheer arrogance. We need to stop that. Yeah. So let's look at some examples of Jesus operating gifts of healing. Uh, think about Matthew chapter 8, verse 16. When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed and he cast out demons and healed all who were healed. People who were ill went to Jesus and Jesus healed them. I'll give you tons and tons of scriptures. Matthew chapter 14, verse 14. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd, he felt compassion for them, and he healed their sick. Mm. The gift of healing has operated through and through and through through the ministry of Jesus. So when somebody's got the gift of healing, they heal. Jesus, by, you know, I think I was, I was making this point last Sunday. When Jesus sent the, 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 the 12, he said to them, go, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, and cast out devils. Mm. You see, these he had given them as power. You know, all power, dynamis, have been given unto me, and authority, exousia, been given unto me. I therefore send you in my name. Do this. Now, many people, many Christians have been stuck into this. I think it's unscriptural idea that you cannot say, I will heal you. As though if you say, I will heal you, you are, you know, setting yourself up to be God. No, that's rubbish. Nobody says that. Everybody knows they're not saying that. But if you are given a, a gift, all right? If you're given a gift and you can go and operate in that gift, when you use that gift to give, to, like, for example, I was giving an example. Let's say a leader gave me a car. Right? Gave me a car. So from now on, the car is mine, right? Yeah. And a friend calls me and says, hey, Samuel, can you pick me up from the airport? And I'm like, sure, I will pick you up from the airport. I have not made any statement of the fact that I bought this car for $100,000. I didn't say that. Now, you may say, oh, man, you've got a new car. Where does it come from? Oh, no, a little boy gave me this guy as a gift. You say, wow, you, you prayed for me. You lay hands on me and I got healed. How, how is that? Like, yeah, God gave me this gift. Mm. It is that simple. Yes. Okay? Yeah. So if somebody, Jesus said, go, heal the sick. Cleanse the leper. He didn't say, go, when you meet the sick, close your eyes, pray to me. So that I may heal the sick if I so wish. 
Well, he didn't say that. No. Some people are going to be ruffled as they listen to me on the radio today because yeah. the, the religious false idea is, is so ingrained that people basically go, well, didn't Jesus say, go heal the sick? Mm. Now, they do heal the sick in the name of Jesus. Peter said, and John said to the man at the portico, in the name of Jesus, get up. Yeah. There was no question. So if I says, I will heal you in the name of Jesus, it's very simple. Oh, no, how about those faith healers? Well, no, they are exercising a gift. If you have the gift of teaching, like we don't just have this. When you look through the Corinthians, this, you know, gift of administration, you know, gift of generosity and gift of teaching. Now, when you have the gift of teaching, aren't you the person who's teaching? Is everybody getting upset if you said, well, I taught really well today? It's a gift of God, but I'm the person who's teaching, isn't it? Yeah. Why we don't get upset when it's the gift of teaching, but we get upset if it's the gift of healing? This is inconsistency. Yeah, it's a false humility, isn't it, really? It, exactly. Yeah. There's no excess. No. I will come here, I will heal you. Well, I'm doing it in the name of Jesus. Come here, I'll teach you. Jesus says, Go into the world, you know, make of all the nation my disciples, teach them. Mm. So when we go, is it Jesus who's teaching? Well, through us, but we're teaching. We complicate things, don't we? We do. Mm. So, go heal the sick. And so Jesus healed the sick. The apostles healed the sick. And it's not only the apostles, including people who were not apostles, did heal the sick. Yeah. So, in that sense, you can... That, the Bible says, actually, you know, James admonishes us in James chapter four, uh, 5, verse 14 to 16. He says, any one of you sick, let him call the elders. Let them anoint him with oil and lay hands uh, uh, sick. And the prayer of faith shall heal the sick. Mm. Right? And so you call the elders, they lay hands. And in, in fact, even gifts can be received by laying a hand. Mm. And so Apostle Paul said to Timothy, don't neglect the gift of God that you receive by laying of hands of the elders. They lay hands on you, they communicated you the gift. Yeah. You see what I mean? Yeah. So in that sense, we need to quit this false humility, uh, the gifts of healing, is a gift God has given to people. I'll tell you something. I was having a conversation with a brother this week who was saying, well, but, you know, because he was sitting a bit on uh, that healing stuff, you know. But, you know, Peter, for example, Peter's shadow, you know, he passed by and, and people got healed. Yeah. Quite extraordinary, right? Yeah. So I look at the brother and said to him, I think actually things have happened today that are far more extraordinary than Peter's shadow healing. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, okay, think about it this way. Peter had to get down and he had to walk past the sick. Uh, he was laying hands on some and his shadow passing over others were healing them, right? Mm. But I've been into events, anybody knows Ronald Bonke, for example, you know, an evangelist. Uh, Ronald Bonke, I, I, as I said last time, I, I was with, I worked with him when he, was, he, he came to, to Africa. And Ronald Bonke never laid hands on people. I mean, not never, but in his crusade. He didn't have time. He couldn't do it. Then there were too many people. Yeah. He would have hundreds of thousands of people there. Yeah. And guess what? He didn't even get down to go past so that his shadow could touch. No. Renner Bunker stood just on the pulpit and he went, in the name of Jesus. Yeah. Be healed. Yeah. And that's all Renner said. And people were in wheelchairs. Including one, they brought a pastor from Nigeria. Once a man who would die, a pastor. And he was in morgue. His wife was adamant. I'm going to take him. It's been three days in the morgue. Mm. And they brought him and they put him down, down there. Rena didn't even know. Bonke did not know the man was there. Yeah. In the name of Jesus. And the man got up on his feet and re resurrected from the dead. Yeah. He told us that at uh, Hillsong Conference. That when is Hart, incredible. When Hart was there. It was. He had some incredible yeah. stories of how God so, healed people. Yeah. And when Renard Bonke was coming to town, he would say, Come. The, the lame will walk yep. and the dead shall be raised in yep. the name of Jesus. Yep. Was he being arrogant? No. The man knew he had the gift. Yeah. And so you can see that having the gift and being able to operate it, you know. And so I said to the brother, I think the person who just simply yelled to be healed did a lot more than the person who had to go past the sick so that the shadow will pass them. Mm. Does this diminish Peter? No. <laughs> I'm just simply saying that the gift of healing is still operating and is operated till today in some extraordinary ways. I heard a story um, with uh, John Wimber. Mm. Uh, he took a, at one of his conferences. He got a young lady up, and uh, and she had healed, she had healed somebody 
um, over the phone. And it was a cold day and, yeah. and she was in bed and she prayed while she was in bed and the person was healed yeah. who was on the other side of Australia because yeah. she was in Western Australia. Yeah. And, and uh, he said to her, what, you didn't even get on your knees? You didn't even <laughs> lie on the floor? You stayed warm in your bed and healing came? Wow, yeah, it was really quite funny. Yeah. But it just, it just um, was an example that we, we put all this stuff around all this yeah. and it isn't that hard. Yeah. It is actually, if you've got that level of faith, it is... That's exactly right. It is perfectly so fine to do it that way. and the gift of healing... The gift of healing, will do. It's, it's a gift. Mm. It's a gift. Can I repeat this again? It is a gift from God. Yes. And so when you see a gift like that operating, you praise God. Don't just simply, you know, get your, you know, you know get upset. Or you, there's no need. It's a gift. And I've repeated that you will notice. If you have a gift, the more you operate in your gift, the more confident you get into operating it. Yeah. The person who's a good teacher who's taught and taught and taught will come back and say, I'm going to teach. They are confident that they're going to use the gift. Okay? Yeah. So, so is the gift of administration, any other gift. So I'm just simply saying, use your gift more. You will actually discover a lot more how your gift operates. And you can say, hey, when it comes to... See, the Bible says gifts of healings. It's not... It's there is differentiations. It's a plural in Greek, yeah. which means some have got the gift of healing certain sickness, and some have got the gift of healing others. Yeah, and you read some about that all the time. Some people specialize in cancer, or yeah. you know, specialize in you know, and so on. And so on. But you will discover what you the, with your best at. Mm. So cases like that, that's what you should do actually in the body of Christ, is to find out. Who are good at certain things? We do that in Africa. I could actually be dealing with a, a demonic case, and I'm like, uh, this is really seeming tricky to me. Uh, I know another minister who is actually specialized is specialized in deliverance. Mm. How about I ring him and ask him for advice? I do this all the time. I could be dealing with a case, and I'm like, it's a bit above me. Oh, I can't deal with this. And I've got a few mentors. You know, one of them is Ken Fish. Yeah. And I'll sort of, you know, quick, quick message Sir, uh, can you, you know, I've got this, this, this case here. You give broad general terms. You know what? And you go, no, there could, they could be this. They, that's how it works. Yeah. Because when you've done it over and over again, you will see the same cases. I've done deliverance. I've done, I pray people for healing. And you've seen the same cases repeating themselves. You go, oh, yeah. When we get blocked here, mostly it's this case. It's unconfessed sin or unbelief. Or there could be all sorts of things that could be the reason why somebody could still be stuck there. Yeah. And so that is how you get to deal with this case. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm hoping that our listeners are getting a lot out of this uh, discussion on healings and the gifts of healing. You're listening to 105.1, Life FM, Benigo's Positive Choice, and we have been talking about healing, uh, part of the cluster, the gifts of power. Yes. And uh, you're going to mosey on to miracles. Yes, working of miracles. Mm. When you look at your uh, you know, biblical Greek text, uh, the gifts of working of miracles, the term that is used there is dunamis, which is the same terminology that is used uh, that, uh, you know, used by Luke in Act of the Apostle, chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. You shall receive dunamis, power. So the working of miracle is the demonstration of the power of God in doing things, doing or producing, bringing about things that are, that are beyond the production capacity of natural law. So let me take the opportunity to define miracles. Because mm. somebody heard me saying, well, a healing is not necessarily a miracle. Okay? Because what has happened over time is we have used the word miracle so loosely yeah. uh, that it has actually lost its meaning. Okay? You know, any little thing. It was, it was a miracle. Well, now, not a lot of mir- things are miracles. So let's raise the bar. Okay, the fact that somebody got healed of a headache is not a miracle. Okay, it's not a miracle. The reason why people will actually start to doubt when we use the term miracle in that case is because they will say, but if that person was given a, a, a medication, they'll feel well. So what's a miracle there? Yeah. And so it is therefore better to not use the, the term miracle loosely. You know, I'll say that's a healing. You know, God just healed you yeah. uh, instead of saying it's a miracle. So... What are miracles there for? You can write it that, this down if, if, if you'd like. Miracles are events that happen 
that are beyond the production capacity of natural laws. I'm going to repeat that again. Miracles are events that happen that are beyond the production capacity of natural laws. In other words, natural laws could not produce such effect. We know that a miracle has happened because of our knowledge of natural laws. Now, whenever somebody has said this was a miracle without knowing natural laws, uh, they've provided a way sometimes for people who are atheistic to deny that a miracle has happened. Yeah. So it is better to know that we know everything about natural laws. Uh, well, not that we know everything, but we know. What, what do we call natural laws? What we call natural laws is not that some laws that are written somewhere that we go and discover. Natural laws is what is called a uniformity. The repetition of things, for example, if somebody dies, when you go bury them into the cemetery, you don't come back home w- expecting that they may knock on your door a couple of days later to say, hi, I'm back. So we have observed naturally that every time somebody dies, they stay dead. Yes. And you have overwhelming data that every time somebody dies, that's why you don't have that expectation that they will knock on your door two days later. Exactly. Now, if somebody had died and you saw them knocking on your day two days later, guess what? You are going to be terrified. <laughs> You're going to think it's a ghost. Yeah. You're going to think you are dreaming because you cannot match that up with reality that you already know. No. The repeated, repetitive reality you know. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. It is the reason why it's always been funny whenever I watch. If you watch those videos where somebody was dead and, and then he comes back to life in the middle of a funeral, I've always wondered why do the living run? <laughs> yeah, that's right. They do. Everybody was They're terrified. <laughs> that's right. the, the guys come back to life. What are you running for? Yeah, they should be embracing him, and they were crying because he died. Exactly. How about giving him a hug? He's back. <laughs> it is a funny thing. Yeah. It tells you their expectation is when you die, you're dead. Yep. Okay. Mm. So then, if the person who died comes back to life, now we know something has happened that is not regular. Mm. You see, so. The person who, therefore, has got the gift of working of miracles is the person who's got the ability to bring about such event mm. that are beyond the production capacity of natural law. Yeah. Okay? Jesus had the capacity to produce such event. He walked on water. Yeah. When you come to walk on water, naturally, the law of gravity and the fact that the water is fluid, okay, Unless you can basically surmount the Archimedes law, which means a hollow body that, you know, that, a, that has got a, an empty space and it can float on the wood. But given that you are quite solid, you shall sink. <laughs> you <laughs> shall <laughs> sink. <laughs> I like it. That's just how it goes. Yeah. So, but Jesus came walking on the wood. And guess what? The disciples knew the laws of nature. Yeah. They had been fishermen. They'd been on that water day in and day out. They'd probably fallen into that water before. They knew what would happen if you try to be above that water without it being in a boat. Mm. This is why when the storm rose, they thought we're going to go in there and we'll be dead. Nobody's going to walk on it. Mm. And they saw Jesus coming. Guess what was their, their reaction? Ghost. Mm. You see what I mean? Yeah. So they had come across an event that was beyond the production capacity of natural law. I've seen people who these days try to find a natural way of explaining. Jesus must have put a glass there that was <laughs> <laughs> to, to walk. Come on, just mm. don't be ridiculous. Mm. Okay. So that was a miracle, an event that I just gave that as an example. Yeah. So the person who's got the gift of, uh, of uh, you know, working on miracles will bring about such event that are beyond the production capacity of natural laws. Let's try to look at it from Old Testament point of view. Think about, I will start with Moses. Moses, God gave him such capacity. Do you know how? I love when, Moses. Yeah. <laughs> when uh, he got given the mission to go to Egypt, and he's like, well, I'm, I'm not going to go. I don't know, believe me. You know, Pharaoh is not going to believe me. I, I was, God's like, hang on a minute. Come on, what have you got in your hand? I have got a stick. All right, throw it on the, on the ground. And he threw the stick on the ground, and the stick became a snake. Mm. 
And he said, oh, he's terrified. Well, because naturally sticks don't become snakes. Mm. You don't just throw a stick on it. It changes the entire composition, the nature and the structure, the properties of a stick is different from the property of a living being, a snake. Yeah. So that is an event that is beyond... I mean, you don't know around finding trees that are turning into snakes, do you? No. Okay. So uh, he's, like, he's not terrified because he knows. He's, he's the one who cut that stick. Mm. Moses had cut that stick. Yep. He'd been using that stick, I don't know, for how long. He'd been a, a shepherd for 40 years. Mm. So he'd been using sticks all the time. No stick had ever turned into a snake <laughs> like, before. No, no. So God says, pick up the stick. He does. Now he knows that he has the gift to turn that stick into a snake. Mm. Now he knows it. So he goes to Pharaoh. And then he gets there. Pharaoh's like, why should I believe you? He's like, watch. He throws the stick and the stick turns into a snake. Now this time he's like, God, um, what do you reckon? Uh, no, he'd been given the gift. He can use it when the demand was put on it. He, stick it, he put it and the stick turns into a snake. And Pharaoh's like, yeah, childish stuff. He, throw, he calls his magicians and they do the same. Mm. Then something has happened. Moses' snake swallows all the rest of the snakes in the eyes of... And then Moses picks it up. It becomes a stick again. I've always been... This is, could you imagine if you're standing there? Have you seen a stick swallowing all the sticks? <laughs> no. <laughs> we have double events here that yeah. are beyond the production capacity of natural laws. Yeah. So not only did all those magicians of Pharaoh lose their sticks... Because the sticks were now in, incorporated in Moses' stick. Yeah. They never came back out. No. <laughs> <laughs> so you have like that. For example, Moses with the plagues. You know, these were events that you can try to explain. People try to explain so those events, right? Yeah. You know, maybe there was some storm that turned the water into, you know, reddish. And the people, uh, come on, just relax. All right. You don't just simply one day get up and produce by the fiat of your word produce you know, you know, grasshoppers all across the land. You see, for it to be a miracle that it produced by the man, unless Moses had gone, and even if those, 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 um, uh, those um, you know, uh, grasshoppers came from somewhere, how did Moses know that if I say tomorrow you see that you have grasshoppers all over the land? Now, let's talk about the, the, the Red Sea. This is the one that's actually the most interesting to me. Because some people say, look, it was just a, a sea of reeds. So it was you know, ankle, ankle deep. So mm. it wasn't really a miracle. They just crossed them like, okay. Well, that actually makes it more of a miracle. Why? Because Scripture tells us that when the Pharaoh's army came in, they got swallowed by ankle deep waters. <laughs> no. <The entire laughs> That's right. So if it was ankle deep sort of uh, waters, the fact that the entire Pharaoh's army sank into it is a miracle. Mm. <laughs> mm. So see, I can give you example. Here's another Elijah, for example, with the woman of Zarephath. You know, the woman of Zarephath. Uh, she, uh, you know, she um, Elijah was sent there. She had only a little flour, yes, a little oil. Yeah. And Elijah said, "Cook for me the meal first. And then he says to her, your oil won't run out. What? Like little, little, you know, vase like this do, are not producers of oil no. and flour. Mm. And guess what? The Bible actually says the flour never finished and the oil never ran out. Mm. You've got the same story with Elijah. Elisha, when one of his, uh, serv- one of the prophets had died and left his wife, you know, in debt. The woman said, I've only got a little vase like this with a bit of oil. Borrow all the vase everywhere else and start pouring. The veins of oil became the producer of oil. That is an event that is beyond the production capacity of natural laws. So these are the gifts of working on miracles happening in the Old Testament. Yeah. And I haven't touched the New Testament yet. No. Well, we'll, <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll do that after we've had a little listen to Keith Green and You Are The One.
Oh, there you go. There's only one Keith Green, isn't it? <laughs> Great song. Okay, Samuel, we've got eight minutes left. Yes. So you're, uh, we're, we're tackling miracles. Yes. Uh, so you can see that the, we, we gave a, a, a number of examples of uh, working of miracles uh, from the Old Testament. There are tons of them. I can give more and more. Mm-hmm. You know, Elijah and the prophet of Baal. You know, calling fire from heaven. Elijah called fire from heaven actually three or four times. Once uh, he had uh, the king sent people to arrest him, and he said, "Well, if I be a man of God, if I come down from heaven, like how does a man just go fire come down?" He didn't li- light the fire with a match. No, <laughs> they wouldn't. They wouldn't have probably had matches with that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so. You can see that these events that are beyond production capacity of natural laws, uh, Jesus, for example, uh, did, did uh, a number of these, these particular events uh, where I talked about Jesus on the water, for example. Mm. Uh, you know, walking on the water was one such event. Uh, we, I think um, that one would remember the feeding of 5,000. Now, this is quite an interesting story when you think about it because, you know, people had followed Jesus in in a remote place and he'd been preaching. And at the end of his preaching, uh, the disciples are like, oh, the people are too numerous here. Remember, the Bible says 5,000 men without counting women and children. So most theologians and and historians, uh, biblical historians, analyze that you have about fifteen to 20,000 people there. Assuming every man had one wife, but they were Jews. Some had two or three wives, right? And assuming every couple had one child, but some had, actually the average, <laughs> average was five, right? Mm. So if you consider that, and conservative figures would be 15,000. Now, 15,000, and to feed people lunch or dinner, we were making the calculation at church. We were. Um, and we, we did the, the maths that if you pay $10, $10 uh, ten dollars per meal, like Australian standard, ten dollar per meal. Uh, you would have probably have about, you know, hundred and fifty thousand dollar worth, because of fifteen thousand people, mm. right? And so this is why the apostles actually tell him. Philip says, "Well, even one person's wage over eight months can't cover." You know, bread that not only we're in the wilderness, there's no bakery here. No. <laughs> Even if we send somebody into the village nearby, there's no bakery that's going to produce this much bread in a short period of time like this. Yeah, they wouldn't have it in their storeroom. This, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> They're basically saying this is impossible. Yeah. It is beyond the production capacity of natural law. That's what the impossible means. Yes. <laughs> so now Jesus like, okay, what have you got? So a boy came out there, he's got a few loaves of bread and a few fishes, you know, some say five, uh, five loaves five and two fishes. fishes yeah. And so Jesus said, okay, bring him to me. He picks it up, he raises it and says thanks, and he gives it to them. Now, I've always wondered in that story, did the, the apostles just suddenly, as he lowers it, like I watched the movie before, and as he lowers it, it was a there was bread everywhere. No, 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 no. Nah. I don't think bit, so. Bit like the oil and the flour, isn't it? Exactly. You take one out, it's still in it's there. Still take there. one out, it's still in there. <laughs> take one out, it's still in there. There was some supernatural bakery just <laughs> producing bread and fish, and this is a miracle. A, an event. Can you imagine how that little boy felt, though? I mean, uh, Nobody talks about the kid, but the kid must have felt wow. Tremendous. He must have got his eyes would have fallen out of his. You know, head. as a good preacher, I always had <laughs> a bit of a, an application preaching point in there. Mm. You know, give to God whatever little you have and see what He can do with it. Yeah, exactly. Right, and so here is a miracle. The Bible says they picked up twelve baskets of leftover. Yeah, which was really a meal for well, a basket for each of them, <laughs> a bit for later on leftovers. So. You can therefore see that that was an event that was brought about that beyond the production capacity of natural law. Mm. Let's finish by look at, at the greatest of all miracles is the resurrection of Jesus. Yes. He predicts it. He says, I'll be dead. Three days later, I'll be back. And so what is extraordinary about it is the fact that he himself predicted he was not in charge of his death. He was not in charge of his arrest. Other people arrested him. The Romans were specialized in, in basically crucifying people. Yeah. They killed him. He was not in charge of that. His disciples just simply took the body and put it in the tomb. And three days later, when they came, actually, when the women went to the tomb, they were all, all sad. Mm. They got to the tomb. I've got this message that I preach on, you know, why are you looking uh, you know, for a living among the dead? Oh, boy. Uh, they went there sad, expecting to find a corpse in there. Yeah. When they got there, the stone was rolled away, and he was no longer there. He was back to life. Mm. And every time when they saw him, 
and they didn't recognize him because they were not expecting him or some thought he was a ghost yeah because that was the greatest miracle of all an apostle Paul said if Christ didn't rise from the dead we are the one to be pitied so the gift of working on miracles and the apostles did miracles you know yeah. we saw the miracles happening for example you know healing that is a miracle the standing up of the man from the portico the man was born you know he was work. born crippled yes, yes. Yeah, never walked in his life exactly mm. he was not put some you know all sorts of you know equipments to try to help stimulate his muscles no no in one instant in the name of Jesus the man gets up and walks like he's ever walked before yeah yeah and so you can see, I can give you more and more of these examples through the New Testament, plenty of them. So if Apostle Paul say that there is a gift of working on miracles, it does happen. Now, gift of faith, healing, and working on miracles work as a cluster. Yeah. If you can't believe in God, you can't have the faith of God. No. <laughs> so you can believe in God, but struggle to have the faith of God. But you see, if you want to know you've got a gift, just can you go lay hands? I never knew that I could pray for a dead person come back to life until I did. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I prayed for a girl, 18 years old, came back to life. Then I prayed for a girl that was cerebral meningitis, sent home to die. She died in our arms. The nurses at our church confirmed that she was dead. Mm. We prayed for her. She came back to life. Meningitis, cerebral, gone. Yeah. Now, I'm saying if I never did that, I would have known that I could. So if you're already doubting that if you lay hands on sin, they shall recover, were you doubting God's word? You want to know you have a gift? Come on, get out there. And start laying hands. And, and do it. Yeah, At least, it. you know, there's 50-50 chance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's been absolutely fabulous, uh, Samuel, and we, we will be going with the last cluster. Yes. Next whole thing, we might not. We might have to do it over a couple of weeks. <laughs> but uh, that's our program for the t- today. We hope you've been blessed and uh, you've been blessed to be a blessing. So we'll catch you up next week.